I love you, baby. I didn't know which song I was going to start with. So just do them both? Yeah. It's really nice out there. It's quiet. For right now. For right now. For the moment. Ooh. Oh, lightning. All See, right. you jinxed it. Now we're going to have thunder rolling in the background. Should we unplug the laptop so we don't fry the entire system? If we get How much hit? battery power do you have? Uh, 99%. Okay, so it's Ooh. <laughs> we can plug it into a surge that projector sounds... if we get low. Can we isolate that for something? Just give me that clip. I'll use it. Uh, anyway. Not the section we were talking on uh, No, of. but I want to use that for boom. <laughs> Welcome to the nightmare box. <laughs> Presenting mistakes well, for me. The next time we see a flash of lightning, lightning will hold for sound and get the boom. <laughs> Oh, we shit. Were, we were talking on top of that one. That is a lot loud. All right. Oh, now I'm cut out again. All right. Pause and restart. All right. And we're back. Starting out strong. Starting out strong. You can cut that up to work however you want to. All right. Welcome mm -hmm. to the Nightmare Box. Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the love of my life, the gem in the middle of my cold, cold, dark, coal-shaped soul. <laughs> Kristen Bloom. <laughs> I love you, baby. And uh, low-key energy coming into the show. <laughs> we had a zenish day. We did have a zenish day. What did we do today there, Kristen Bloom? I don't know the proper name for it, but we went to... The Garden of a Thousand Buddhas. Yeah, there's a... Very, very pretty garden here that just has like all these Buddha sculptures. Mm -hmm. um, so we went and toured that today. Unfortunately, it's technically, I guess, not open to normal operations. Like you can yeah. go and walk around, just the monks who work there um, weren't there. Mm -hmm. So it was very pretty. Very pretty day for it. Yeah. It's, as you can hear, um, storming outside. So it was like a kind of overcast, like comfortable mm -hmm. weather day today. Which was nice because it's been very muggy and hot lately. Yeah. So there was like this really relaxing breeze blowing the whole time we were walking around. It was nice and overcast. It was really pretty. No, it was absolutely gorgeous. But yeah, it's a um, like a big circle that has all of these. They call them shumas. Was that the name? I think so. Yeah. Um, that surround like the little temple-looking things um, that surround the outer ledge of the the circle, and then in the circle, in like six to eight rows. Um, there are 1,000 Buddhas. And then up on a hill, there's this square prayer area that's made out of prayer flags. And it was just windy enough to where, like, when we were standing up there today, that's all you could hear was the wind blowing through all these flags, like mm -hmm. probably a 100 of them in a square. And it, it was just, it, it took the edge off of what yeah. has been a very long week. And it overlooks the whole, like, little garden below when you're up there. So it was really, yeah, like, really cool to see. Arlie, Montana? Yes. Yeah. Not too far away. It was gorgeous. It, I really, I really, really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. I just wish, I guess my only thing that I would do differently is because the, I'm assuming they're not doing like guided tours or anything right now. Um, and there was nobody there that actually works there. Like they do have a few plaques in different places that mm -hmm. kind of explain what stuff is, but like all the other structures don't really have plaques on them. I'm like, what's the significance? Yeah, well, like the, the the Buddhas all have little plaques that like explain, I guess, different parts of the religion. But mm -hmm. as I say, I am a quasi Buddhist, <laughs> quasi Hindu dude. 
Well, like I like the message, but I don't understand the stories because I've yet to sit down with like a monk to explain mm-hmm. certain you know key elements. So I don't want to call myself, you know, one or the other. I just I get very comfortable with like Eastern philosophy and stuff like that. Fell in love with Alan Watts at a very pinnacle weird point in my life, and it expanded into Ram Dass and you know all those other guys that were trying to explain it to the West. And to go in there today was awesome. Yeah. I, I really liked that. It's neat too because most of the larger structures not all of the individual thousand buddhas but most of the larger structures have some kind of offering place at them mm-hmm. where people have come through and like laid down coins or jewelry yeah or... there's like japanese yen on a few of them mm-hmm. little kids toys uh that have been given up yeah so it's kind of neat to because i'm assuming people offer up those gifts like for blessings mm-hmm. or um you know, say their own little prayers or whatever. So it's just kind of neat to see all the little individual things people yeah. had left as offerings to the different statues. What was the, um, was it the heart mantra that was on the plaque? Do you remember the line from that that I liked a lot? Oh, it's, I can grab my phone if you'd yeah, like. It's not that important. <laughs> but it was talking about the calming of the mind and, you mm-hmm. know, um, emptying yourself, you know, to yeah. just be in the moment. Basically, and if better. there's no... Um, it's obstacles. An o. Yeah. It wasn't the word wasn't obstacles. It wasn't a word, but basically, if there's no obstacles in your way, you can't be afraid. So mm-hmm. mentally, emptying your mind of like all these stress factors empties your mind of fear as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was really pretty. And the thunder rolls <laughs> and the lightning strikes. <laughs> Did you? Um, Kristen had the most hilarious response to the Buddha. Because <laughs> you were like so calm and collected, and yeah. you're like, I really needed this. And then we were driving back into the the quote unquote city that we live in, and immediately it was like, Why is he driving so fucking slow? I can't park here. We're gonna be hit by the rain. <laughs> so all the stress came back as we came down off the mountain. <laughs> well, they were driving. It was just filling you back up with rain. Twenty and a fifty-five, <laughs> and then we went to. Albertsons. Got Ramdas on the radio because I'm just trying to hold on to my feelings. No, we went to Albertsons to get beer, and you go, What is this lady doing? I was like, She's leaving her cart in a parking spot, like an asshole, walking my way. (laughs) So, technically, you mentioned something there, too. Exactly. Yeah, I was trying to beat the rain, and we did not beat the rain. Unfortunately, (laughs) you can't take all of those feelings with you. You've got to reflect on them. I bet in theory it would be kind of relaxing standing in the rain there right now though yeah like underneath that pavilion mm-hmm. with the big um statue in the middle mm-hmm. of it i've completely forgotten <laughs> who there was, was a lot of stuff there we looked at a lot of yeah, stuff so. we were there for like an hour and a half <laughs> to be fair it's kind of hard to keep up with what all was <laughs> and we had the little black structures at the beginning that were like the different phases of buddha's life yeah. and like all the stairs and stuff on them were different it was really cool yeah a lot we- of Immense detail went into all of those carvings. I would love to go back and do the guided tour so that somebody's there to, like, explain, Mm -hmm. you know, the Buddha life cycle, you know, from his birth to, you know, 30, I think he was, when he was sitting under the tree and hit enlightenment, and then 80 when he, like, finally completely transcends. Yeah. And, like, I'm curious, too, um, some of the larger statues had these little rocks at the base of them that had symbols carved mm-hmm. in them that were painted and i'm curious what like those rocks said and like what they meant and stuff so yeah i could spend all day up there you know if i had somebody with the patience to like walk me stone by stone i'd, I'd want to know about every single one of the thousands yeah. you know? it wasn't 
crazy busy. Um, there were like a couple of random groups of people touring and then, you know, like a couple of just couples like us, but it wasn't crazy busy. Thankfully, when we got there, there was kind of a loud group leaving, which I was glad for. Yeah. But I think of all the people there, we were the only two that actually like hiked up to the prayer flag mm -hmm. structure. Like, I don't think anybody else walked up to that. So that was kind of nice. We yeah. kind of had that moment to ourselves. Yeah, just standing up there. But yeah, I had that feeling too with the people, you know, as we were coming in, that they were being super loud. They left cigarette butts all over the garden. They were stomping and fucking laughing and yelling. And there's a sign at the beginning. One of the rules of the park is to maintain a quiet meditative state. Like, mm -hmm. it's not supposed to be a place for yelling. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Because technically the monks are still operating that garden. They're trying to meditate, and so you're, you you have to be. Well, I think the point you know, of a, a place... Quiet thing. But what it reminded me of is, like, I've been to a couple of different countries, and there is the stereotypical dumb American tourist where it's like, oh, you don't want to understand the cathedral. You, you just yeah. want to yell and let your kids shit in the corner, even yeah. though it was built in the 1300s. <laughs> I think the point of places like that, even when the monks aren't there working, is that it's supposed to be a place of reflection so you're supposed to go there and like have mm -hmm. some form of like even if it's not literal meditation just kind of quiet reflection of your life or yeah. that moment at the very least and i think if you're going there with a large group and talking very loudly like you're, you're stealing missing that from the point other yeah yeah you're stealing it from other people like brett and i were talking to each other but we weren't like yelling and it was like church talk yeah <laughs> and like when we got towards the back of it, there was one lady that said somebody was like taking a picture flexing with one of the Buddhas, and it's mm -hmm. like, like I don't, I don't mind if people like take photos with stuff. Like I took a couple of photos that Brett was in while there was like other stuff in the background or whatever, and like yeah. Kristen likes to take like existential pictures yeah. of me not <laughs> Brett know, contemplating. Like I'm talking to her, but she stopped twenty yards back and is just taking pictures of my fat, out of shape. Oh, you are nuts. <laughs> no, I like because I don't know. I like getting those like wide shots of. Like, you kind of see the vastness of whatever location mm -hmm. we're in, and it's you just kind of this tiny point in the photo. Yeah. Like, it feels contemplative to me, like you're just a little a bit in this yeah. vast space that we're in. What's well, what got us out here was my fucking way too much weed way too quickly on way hmm. too high of a mountain in Washington, staring at trees in the moon and going, holy fuck. You know, having that classic... Yeah. <laughs> I, I might, like, if I find, like, a really cool little thing, be like, oh, let's take a picture together of us just standing next to mm -hmm. it. But it's always just kind of smiling, like, look at this cool thing. It's not like, I'm going to flex my muscles, bro. No, never. You know, <laughs> I'm not a douchebag. But people have like a, a weird concept I think of the philosophy in itself because there was the much kinder uh, couple that we met while we were over there and one of the friends you know said something was telling us about the people flexing and you know trashing the garden area and snapping like, off don't, the, judge. don't <laughs> judge and it's like I think you know like that's a very stereotypical version but you know it's still it's a good way to yeah if they're bastardizing the park you're allowed to be like those bastards are tearing flowers off and stomping through things and the monks can't be out here to clean right now and yeah. so they're just ruining it instead of yeah, helping clean a couple it. of the statues had like shit like somebody put their sunglasses on it yeah, and stuff like, and it's it like that's a joke. disrespectful yeah. yeah so yeah that stuff does bug me a bit 
you don't go to Stonehenge and you know fucking leave candy. I don't know what the fuck you would do at Stonehenge. I've been to <laughs> Try Stonehenge. Try to knock over it, the stones. It is a giant tourist attraction of people not taking it seriously. No, I would like to go to Stonehenge though. Yeah. I, like I don't know. I I think which about the the structures at the Buddhist temple are like extremely old structures. Um, but I think when you go to stuff like that, like I don't imagine realistically Stonehenge is so fascinating you could stand there for hours studying the stones like yeah. it's literally just a well, single well you can't walk through the stones well, yeah. anymore so yeah you just yeah. walk around them and you go yep they're there I wish I yeah. could get closer to them <laughs> yeah so oh, I mean even if you could mm-hmm. actually walk up to them now like I don't imagine it's so fascinating that you could stand there for hours the concept on of how they them. got there is yeah. the fascinating part yeah like I, I feel like whenever people like go to these places and kind of make of a joke of it they're not appreciating the wonder that is that structure it's like how did those people who lived that life yeah. create this thing and like it's not necessarily supposed to be like some exciting roller coaster ride it's supposed to be a moment that gives you pause to contemplate mm-hmm. like the nature of humans and where we came from and how these people accomplished this task and why they did it and yeah. like even with the buddhist temple like i don't think any of those structures are that old there were plaques that had dedications to people from like way way back when when it was like the 1800s but uh i don't think the actual buddhas are that old but it's still like a meant to be a moment of pause to reflect on life Mm -hmm. i think and like i realized in the middle of all this that when i was a kid in japan you know like when i was in the service i was like 19 20 Mm -hmm. 21 22 Um, I went to go see the Big Buddha, which is like a famous one. It's massive. It it was beautiful, but there were so many tourists and it was so flooded. It didn't have that sacred calm, you know, Mm -hmm. that this place kind of had, you know. Um, and there are pictures of me pinching the Buddha from, you know, far away where I, he looks really small you in between my fingers. You were younger then, though. Yeah, well, I still appreciated, you know, that. And I, I did a lot of Japanese tea garden type stuff when I was out there where you would hike up the mile, yeah. you know, to go see a shrine. And then you'd drink tea on the mountain and then you'd walk back down the mountain. So, and I went to Hirohito's grave and, you know, I, I had an ability for contemplativeness but i've just realized that i myself have been shitty american tourist from time to time like i'm a little more willing to excuse younger people like these guys were like in their 40s (laughs) children just honestly aren't intellectually in a place to get it most of the time unless they grew up in a place that like taught the importance of culture and all that like children honestly for the most part just don't get it Mm -hmm. teenagers are like way more worried about themselves than other people so teenagers don't really get it and even when you're into your early 20s your brain isn't fully developed so like i'm willing to excuse people up into 25 even maybe mm-hmm. but yeah these were like adults acting like jerks yeah, and like it's these like were why gra- did you come technically grandparents with their yeah. you know 20 year old kids and their kids yeah you know. and it's like why did you come if you can't like appreciate the actual yeah. work of art here. I'm just gonna like stuff cigarette butts yeah. out on the dedication benches and yeah, and like I left a pack of cigarettes. Somebody left a full pack, and I was like, maybe that's there for a reason. Maybe this itself is you know the dedication. Yeah, maybe but it's a bench with. Well, it said you couldn't smoke. It said there. you couldn't smoke yeah. in there, but there was like one missing from the pack, and I wondered you know if that was somebody giving be. up or if they forgot you know yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah, that is bizarre that it was a full mm-hmm. pack left sitting there and there was one buddha too which that kind of bugged me in a way because there is that 
I have no idea who said it, um, but there is that quote about um, appreciating the beauty of a flower yeah. by not plucking it, because once you pluck it, you've killed the flower. Um, there was one person who had plucked a flower from the garden and put it on the Buddha, and I'm like, you've totally missed the point. Yeah. Now that flower is going to die. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you don't have your own coin to offer, just say a silent prayer and move on. Don't yeah. pluck the flowers from the garden. Uh, <laughs> I don't get some people, but it is in technically introducing Buddhism to Montana. the Missoula area <laughs> of Montana. And I can imagine that that has been frustrating for them <laughs> since they built the place. It's in a beautiful spot, yeah, it's though. Gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's in the so middle of a quiet valley. There at the end. there's yeah. not a bunch of people in it. It's at the end of a reservation, you know, just in the middle of nowhere in a valley and... Yeah, so fucking quiet when we got past those bastards. Yeah, and you could see the mountains so clearly, and there were like a couple of houses like a little ways further out, and I'm not going to lie, I'm a little envious of the people that live right there. <laughs> so I'm going to go knock on their door and be like, excuse me, can you sell your house to me? I'd like to live right here. I want to be right here so that on Sundays I can walk a mile down the road and then spend an hour and a half in the Buddhist park and oh, contemplate. I like that about this place, too. Like, the parking lot isn't that big at all, so the place can only hold so many people mm -hmm. at one time. Like, there's really just not a ton of place for cars to park. Maybe it's fit a, 20 cars. Yeah. yeah. And it's a bit of a walk away from the actual garden, so you don't have that sound of cars pulling in and out because mm -hmm. it's a gravel lot. You don't have that sound of cars pulling in, out, in and out, interrupting your piece, and, like, you actually have to, like, take the time to hike over to it. So, like, while you're walking to it, you kind of take in the quiet of the area yeah. and kind of get a moment to get into that headspace like before that you get there. half mile stretch or however yeah. long it is was like you were walking away from the world and it just mm -hmm. became the crunching of the gravel, mm -hmm. you know, underneath your feet and you were just letting it go. And then you would come back to it. And then as you drove down the mountain, you would scream at truckers because <laughs> the, the trucker, I mean, he had a hilarious decal on his truck. Mm -hmm. That was, was kind of ironic. It's an angry-faced, like, 15-year-old like pointing Sam -esque at you. Like Uncle Sam-esque pointing at you, like, I want you. And he was like, did you pray today? And it's like, find the Lord while you still can. <laughs> and it was like, that seems a lot angrier than yeah. the Buddhist place I was just Where at. Where they're like, if you want to donate money, we'd like that. We can build more structures. The gift shop is like another, you know, it's pushed off a quarter mile away from mm -hmm. the park. And it's the just doors this tiny open. little like shed. Yeah. It's not even it's like, like We sell prayer beads. <laughs> if I you do. want to buy prayer beads. I do want to go back there and actually buy something from the gift shop when it's open. Yeah, we need to go out with cash next time because I'd like to make like a significant donation and mm -hmm. also you know go into the gift shop and buy a little Buddha that I can put next to the one I've got already. <laughs> it was bigger than I thought it'd be though. Like I, I it was a lot bigger. Than I figured I it, it had be. to be a decent size for there to be a thousand Buddhas in there, but I thought that center section was going to be all that it was. Mm -hmm. And like it's kind of nice that they have like the, the prayer circle, flags and all that kind of offset. And then yeah. You walk off onto the valley and then you come back in. It was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. <laughs> It did, yeah. When we got back into town, it definitely felt more stressed again, but it did kind of help ease. That's been stressful. I know. That's been real stressful. We got married. <laughs> we did. Got our jobs. I've lost my jobs a whole shitload of times and finally got my job. And then COVID. And my job's changing slightly. Yeah, um, we're spiking in COVID numbers across the fucking country as we all scramble to open up, despite the fact that Arizona has more COVID cases than all of the European Union. 
Um, it did kind of motivate um, me to, I guess, like, I don't want to say take myself more seriously because I feel like I do take myself seriously, but like... The butter thing or the COVID thing? No, like the the fact that things have been getting kind of worse lately Mm -hmm. and it's been stressful lately, like it did kind of motivate me to make a bigger leap. Uh, Brett and I invested in a new camera. Goddamn right. (laughs) Um, it's on back order right now, so I don't know when I'm going to get it. Um, what is it? It is the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema 6K camera. Mm. Um, pricey little baby, but, uh... <laughs> Comes in at about two grand. Um, but it, it, it will shoot both 4K and 6K, mm. and the, um, short films I've seen people have made with it are just honestly stunning, and it's a... DaVinci uh, Resolve, Blackmagic is the company that makes DaVinci Resolve, and um, their cameras are supposedly, I've never used any of them, like famously known for their color science, because DaVinci Resolve is um, the professional grade standard for color grading, Um, and supposedly you basically can't touch uh, Blackmagic cameras when it comes to their color science, so you get like these absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. range of colors when you're color grading your footage so i'm very excited about it because we were watching uh, the docu-series last night the innocent man that's based mm-hmm. on john grisham's book and you kept pausing it and going our short films can look like this <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm gonna have to step up my color grading game i will say like i have you mean um, like in color correction afterward yes or? yeah and afterwards um because i've only ever um shot personally with canons like i've shot with uh canon c100s Mm -hmm. um which are much more expensive professional cameras but um all of my cameras that i've ever owned have been canons and my camera that i shoot with doesn't shoot footage in raw so there's not as much flexibility to tweak the colors so you Mm kind of have like a starting point that you have to go from and with the black magic camera um you can shoot raw footage so the footage itself initially kind of looks very flat and very gray and there's not like a lot of contrast and it just it's not attractive initially yeah. in the flat version of it but it gives you range to you can completely like make this scene like blue or green or red or whatever you That's can do whatever awesome. you want with it and then you have a much broader range of how like contrasty you want it to look and stuff like that so it looks very unattractive initially so you have to color grade it like Mm -hmm. i could technically if i really wanted to on my canon footage just white balance the photo and call it a day i always color correct my stuff just because it looks better when you do (laughs) um but the footage for the black magic i'll have to color grade you can't leave it the way that it is i like that it's called the black magic yeah that's awesome (laughs) yeah um i'm very excited about it though i'm gonna have to step up my color grading game because i'm not not a professional by any means, but I feel like I, I wasn't when I purchased you it. You are like, a professional. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, I'm not at the level, like, people do that for a living, like, color film and don't actually, like, Oh, do... I thought you meant filmmaker, and I was like, you are a professional no. <laughs> filmmaker. No, that, that's, like, an actual job to be a colorist. Yeah. Um, they don't do any of the real editing. They literally just color correct the footage. People do that for a living and charge a lot of money and make a very good career at mm-hmm. it. So I don't want to take away from people that have dedicated their lives to color science because it's... Yeah, I can do line-by-line <laughs> line editing, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that <laughs> for a career. <laughs> but it's it's a, a tricky thing that there is definitely a, teni- a technique to, so I'm 
I'm excited to actually have to like learn more about it because I, I have a very basic understanding of color correction and like I think the only thing that doesn't make me nervous about having a camera that I now have to do that stuff with is that I've been doing it to some degree already so I'm like I kind of know what I'm doing yeah I will figure this out but yeah I'm insanely excited because it's gonna <laughs> be much better yeah. footage it's gonna be even more crystal clear mm -hmm. like everything's gonna be and we've learned a lot since you've had your canon yeah. so you know we're gonna be able to apply the lessons we've learned a lot better with the the better camera mm -hmm. and i owe you a very expensive uh, attachment for said <laughs> camera because i've declared it a business decision and i'm paying your part of the rent and the difference <laughs> We, in halfway we ag agreed to half and half on the camera and brett is uh yeah i i outright bought it and brett's covering the other stuff so <laughs> <laughs> um yeah the only downside is apparently the camera is really 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 bad which it shoots in 6k so that's a given the camera's bad no let me let me finish <laughs> why are we spending two thousand no. dollars on a bad camera no. You no, know, like the color's it, good, it but you, it looks like a person with Parkinson's disease <laughs> no, every time you upload the no, photo. No, it shoots. It looks like that video I took on my camera on the phone the other day that came out all wavy for no reason. And we were like, <laughs> is the poltergeist living on my iPhone? <laughs> that was weird. No, um, it shoots such large files, so I guess that's to be expected. It's really bad about eating through batteries and um, storage, so I can't shoot on memory cards anymore. Mm hmm. Um, which I mean I could, I don't want to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars to buy a bunch of memory cards. Um, so I bought a little rig to rig to the camera so that I could just hook a hard drive up to it and I'm going to record into a hard drive instead. So it's going to be a bit of a learning curve because I have never had to shoot that way. Um, and I have not really had to edit 4k footage. So that's going to be interesting because my computer is going to be like what the fuck are you doing to me <laughs> we it's... need to find actors because <laughs> neither one of us is comfortable with the way our faces look on cameras <laughs> well the next one that we're doing is definitely going to be the two of us yes yeah. it's but after that we should a probably little more find personal <laughs> yeah. yeah probably <laughs> mini covid to quit scaring people off because I need somebody to come hang out with me and yeah. be in my movie. I need two people in a living room, you know, but I can't socially distance you because it's a one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> so, you know, and I've got a thermostat that goes underneath your tongue, but sharing that's probably less comfortable than the forehead scan thing. <laughs> I am excited. I I hope it's not back-ordered too, too long. I, I can't wait to play around with that. That'll be awesome. Are, do you need a new stand or do you need a new well i'm thinking about um because i don't know that the hard drive that i currently own that's my little portable one i'm gonna have to look into that i don't think that it's fast enough like i need something that can record like at a fast rate to keep up with the camera so i may have to get a new like mini hard drive which isn't terribly expensive send me the bill <laughs> And uh, I am probably going to need batteries. So those aren't very fun gifts, <laughs> but those are probably going to be the practical gifts. <laughs> Make me a list. And I'll, I'll get on that. Love you. Love you. Very excited. I know you Our are. next short film is going to be real, real good. I just got to sit down and write it. We need your camera to show up. <laughs> yeah, I got to finish the last one. You got to finish Happy Birthday. <laughs> no, not, we did Happy not, Birthday. Not happy Birthday. The, the one that shan't be named that is slowly losing it's its significance. Tentatively named. Um... I don't know for sure if we're going to name it that, so I'm not going to say it. 
but it's tentatively finally named. <laughs> finally named? Yeah, I remember we were tossing names back and forth, and I... Oh, I thought funny. you were going to tell them the title. I no. thought you were saying that the title was no. tentatively finally made, and I was like, what? No, it's, it's tentatively named, assuming we decide to stick mm-hmm. with it. We did finally say a name. We have a we, name. Yeah, that we both were like, oh yeah, that might work, so it might have a name. I need to finish I it. I need to see it in its final version before yeah. I can you know, I go, here's a concept, you know, <laughs> sit down, have a few beers, spend an hour tossing back and forth names because that's how the creative process mm. I don't works. know, we named Happy Birthday pretty early in, but that yeah. was like a... That was pretty easy. Yeah, I was like, that one's like, that's what it's being named for sure. <laughs> well, I, I've got a, a couple of things that I wanted to talk about if if you don't mind just because i've finished this book and i don't want to get too far away from it before we you know kind of have a discussion of some level terribly oh well fuck you (laughs) where's yours in (laughs) so i finally finished uh after uh, like three weeks i finished um Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird. I am fucking in love with this book. If you guys want to go back to the last couple of uh, Friday episodes that we've done, I've covered a few passages, and uh, this is my last little section of passages. I wish I could read the entire book in whole, but Anne's still alive, and so Probably we need to... Sue you. I don't want to be sued by Anne Lamont. I want her to give me a hug. I <laughs> <laughs> think she's awesome, and I know nothing about her outside of reading her memoir slash fucking uh, writing thing. I need to go read more of her books. Her writing style is beyond interesting, and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited that I had the opportunity to read this book at this chapter of my life instead of 15 years ago when I wouldn't have understood it but I thought it felt right because of the going to the Buddhist place Mm -hmm. that we would cover this thing which there's one in here that directly names Ram Dass and that made me happy to realize that I get to read that passage (laughs) Um, the first one that I want to do it's in the 25th anniversary paperback Um, it's in the chapter writing groups and it's kind of talking about workshopping. Um, and I've got two passages out of that chapter. So in this chapter, she's talking about creative writing classes in particular, because that's what she teaches and the expectations that her students have coming into it. And then the reality of dealing with writers, you <laughs> know, more or less welcome to the pit fight. Cause those of us that take it seriously don't, put up with a lot of horseshit, you know, kind of in a way, but, um, so I'll, I'll read from this paragraph, but a little bit before, so it'll set it up. We, the other students and I can be like a doctor to whom you take your work for a general checkup. We can give you a place to show up and a little benevolent pressure lost my spot sorry Mm. a little benevolent pressure which we hope you which we hope will help you finish stories and sections we can give you some respect because we know what it takes but be warned that you may feel as though you have put your head in the lion's mouth creative writing classes and ongoing workshops tend to tend to be gentler than conferences but in all of these situations you may find yourself sitting around a table with a number of other writers who feel morally or aesthetically compelled to rip your story to shreds 
at best. They will say that the story would work better if you rewrote it in the past tense, unless it's already in the past tense, in which case they will suggest the present, or that you should be you should try writing in the first person, or if it is in first person, then write it in third. At worst, they will suggest that you have no visible talent whatsoever and should not bother writing anything ever again, even your own name. That's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> it gets a lot harsher, but I wanted to discuss um, in that, um, when we went to school, as we've talked about um, in numerous times, we met each other in a screenwriting workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, a second level screenwriting screen. I'm losing my tongue already. Jesus Christ, it's <laughs> going to be a long night. Um, but my last two years of school was primarily workshops where every day I had to bring something in for somebody to tell me that it sucked and then you, you worked on it, you worked on it, you worked on it. At the end, you got a D. You know? <laughs> and we were in screenwriting where I proposed a pitch for a television show that we as a class should write that I intended to be a very serious like dark drama and everybody thought it was a comedy mm-hmm. uh, which ruined my entire afternoon <laughs> you make jokes when you're nervous is part of the problem like you I think I remember you making like a joke while you were up there giving your pitch and like everybody laughed at your joke, but I think you thought they were laughing at your concept. And, yeah, and then I got even more anxious and mm-hmm. made more jokes and by the end of it I had no faith in my own work Aww. anymore. Um, but you had to do the same with films. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked on here before about making the dolls and having a student in the class protest the concept mm-hmm. of child rape and murder in a college film. Um I still throw fingers in the air for that that unnamed individual. <laughs> well, I think. But would that do you feel like she's right on money there? Like there's sometimes you walk into those classrooms and there is like a benevolent understanding and then there's other times you walk in that classroom and there might be a dickhead who doesn't understand the difference between if you don't want to coddle in a room. Yeah. And you want helpful criticism, but you don't want to be kicked in the balls and tossed out of the club. Well, I think part of my problem with um, the film reviews was they were so... Because it takes so long to make a film. Um, They were so few and far between. There was like one semester where I think we only had to do four in total. Which, I mean, for a semester, I guess, isn't really a small amount. And then... um, when we did The Dolls, that was the only film I made that entire semester. Um, I had to spend the rest of the semester working on other people's films, so I only yeah. produced that one film that whole semester. Um, and um, it was such a tight-knit little group. Like, we, for the most part, you kind of lost people along the way and mm-hmm. met new people along the way, but for the most part there were like repeated faces I kept seeing as I was moving up in my classes and stuff like that and had actually gotten to know each other and gotten to be friends and stuff like that. And we had to work on our film sets with each other. So I think there was a fear to say anything unless you clearly didn't try. Like if you had put in any effort, um, people would just spend the class complimenting the things that they liked. Exactly. Yeah. I'm happy you brought that up because that's the avenue I wanted to take this. Continue, I'm sorry. (laughs) But then I would watch my own films and somebody's work that was significantly better than mine because we would watch them on this big projector in um, Mm -hmm. the classroom so it was almost sort of like watching it in the movie theater. 
um, somebody else's film that was significantly better than mine would come on. And so in my mind while I'm watching this, it's like, fuck, don't let my film be next. Don't show my film yeah. next. I don't want to follow up that film. <laughs> like, my film looks so bad in comparison. So then you're sitting there criticizing you your know, own work. And you don't know why. Because yeah. nobody's telling you the honest truth inside yeah. of a workshop. I got that constantly and pat cell phone back. I know that I was a lot better than a lot of the people oh, in the yeah. workshops. Like. I, I don't want to say that lightly. A lot of people went into minor in creative writing. I was there for a major in creative writing. If I wasn't better than them, then I would have been a problem. Yeah, I you know. know majoring was... in that subject. But you'd go into a room and people would be like, I really liked the concept. And I'd just stare at them and be like, what does that fucking mean? <laughs> is, it, yeah. is it the plot? Is it the theme? Do you like the character? What is the concept that yeah. you like? You know, it's not like you watched an entire film, there's an obvious concept, you know, for yeah. the entire film. But they would come in and workshop ideas, and it's like, I can't workshop this story on you like the concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I knew, too, and I, I, I'm not trying to be braggadocious, like, I knew, too, that my films were better than at least half of the class. I was like, I know I'm mid-range in here for sure, because there were people in there that just weren't trying and didn't, didn't care. Yeah. And, like, didn't even follow the guidelines for what was required of the film. So like I we knew. were older students. They yeah. were younger kids. They yeah. were more interested on who they were going to fuck after the bar yeah, that like night. Like the frat and, party yeah. that weekend or whatever. Like I knew my films weren't bad per se, but there were a couple of students where every time it was like, God damn it. Like <laughs> he crushed it. Like, come on, I yeah. got to step up my game. And like, then we'd get to, yeah, the review process and it'd be like, Oh, like, it looked good. The sound sounded good. Like, that would be all they'd say. And the only time I got any criticism at all was when we did the dolls. And it was sneaky behind my back. Somebody complained and tried to have my film stopped. Like, tried to make it where yeah. we couldn't film it at all. And Which, I, if you're in any creative field trying to censor anything creative, you don't belong here. Please yeah. leave. Should have been the response. <laughs> Should have kicked her out of the film program. <laughs> my professor pulled me aside in his office and had a private conversation with me because he was like, that's not the move. He was like, if I censor you, I have to start censoring my students as a whole. And he was like, mm. I'm not going to do that. Um, he was like, but I want you to know that somebody complained, and if they take it to the dean, I might not have any other choice. So I was like, well, we'll go back into the writing room and we'll rewrite or Brett will go back into the writing room and Brett will rewrite. And, um, I ended up shooting that movie. I still to this day, don't know who complained, but what I turned in because it was such an intense semester because we were all f filming like pretty lengthy short films. The dolls, I want to say is 15, 16 minutes long mm -hmm. and that's no small endeavor. Um, whenever a semester is only what, three, yeah. four months or whatever. And I was also having to work on other people's films, and we were working with actor schedules or student schedules because I had to time it around other people's productions so that people could work on mine. So uh, what I turned in was not color corrected, did not have the sound score on it. Um, I don't think the sound was even perfected. It was basically the rough edit was mm -hmm. what I turned in because I was like, it's not done. And several people in the class did that. They turned yeah. in like the rough version of their project because there just was not time. Um, and it looked bad. I was embarrassed to watch it on that screen. I was like, this looks terrible. And I knew I was going to go back and finish it later. So I'd, I wasn't disappointed so much in that. But nobody commented on it. Nobody was like let's fix the color, let's fix the sound, or why isn't there any music? Like, nobody said yeah, anything about any of that. Yeah, which gives you the assumption that 
oh, it's perfect. Yeah. And a like, whole room full of people didn't have a single creative. Can I add, can I read the second part? Because it, it goes directly in line with what we're talking about right now. Can I finish my thought yes, really quick? Yes, yes, um, Like the only, <laughs> the only complaint I got was I broke the 180 degree rule at one point when the two little girls are talking to each mm-hmm. other. And that was like the only complaint I got. And I was like, well, it was a small crowded spot and we made do with what we had. And I don't yeah. feel like it's that distracting. And the professor agreed with me. He was like, well, you see what the room looks like and you see where they're sitting. So he was like, I spatially know that the girls are facing each other. He was like, I didn't even notice it. So it's, like, Thank a, you. it's a textbook correction. Yeah. It's not like an artistic <laughs> correction. Yeah, and like... Like I would get people who go, your fragments, you use too many dashes. That's my favorite <laughs> one of all. And it's like, but does it carry the mm. flow of the story that I wrote? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't tell me I wrote too many dashes. If you feel that it's interrupting the sentence, that's what you need to tell me. Yeah, and like I... Um, my film professor that I had for that class, like I had had him three or four times in total, like loved that professor. Um, I had him again the following school year for an independent study. And, um, we like met in his office like twice or something that whole semester. And for the most part, he kind of let me do my own thing as long as I was turning in my work. And, um, like one of the first things he said to me was that he felt like I had been shortchanged and kind of basically implied that my movie had like bombed because he was like yeah like we made you change the story and like should have uh, not done that yeah mm-hmm. he was like i really feel like you kind of got the short end of the stick and i was like oh no like i i went back and mm-hmm. finished it i was like it's online and got thousands of views i was like i fixed the sound fixed the color i was like i hired a composer he was like you hired a composer i was like <laughs> yeah i took it seriously <laughs> like, he was like super impressed i was like yeah did you really think i was gonna just leave it at that did you think i was fucking around <laughs> like that piece of shit film that yeah. i showed in class was just what i was gonna like put my name on the like, problem no, in the it. workshops though is that a lot of people don't view it that way <laughs> as you said earlier and so like this Next little thing that I wanted to dive into is later on in the chapter, the story itself kind of starts right after what I read on 144, but I'm going to save you a page and a half of reading to get you here. She's teaching the class, and this guy has written a story that is universally hated in the classroom, but people keep complimenting and complimenting and complimenting. Um, And then... A young woman in the back of the room raises her hand and she goes, am I crazy? Am I losing my mind? Am I the only person here who doesn't think it worked at all? And then she starts rattling off all these reasons, gives this guy a real ear beating. And Anne is forced in that moment to pick a, pick a center to agree that the story is shit and that these people are patronizing this kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but not so harshly that he gives up altogether because there's a reason why he's trying to write the story. Um, And after this whole drama plays out, she catches the young woman off on the side. I told the young woman in front of the class that it had taken guts to say what she had said. Later, she sought me out and asked if I thought that she was a monster. I told her that I thought she'd been very honest and that this was totally commendable but that you don't always have to chop with the sword of truth. You can point with it, too. I like that. I think we need to... We've adjusted our two-star Tuesday, which Mm -hmm. I would like to think is us workshopping without the director and the writer in the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you want to be on, um, we're trying to get Tommy. I swear to God, we're going to get Tommy with so. (laughs) I've made it my life's goal. Try. (laughs) Like we, we've adjusted it because we realized 
that in the past we'd been too mean on them. That we'd gotten off work, I'd gotten drunk immediately, and then like an hour later we turned on the fucking show and it was just lashing, you know. Mm-hmm. You don't need to chop with the sword of truth. You can yeah. point. I like that. And that's part of what I liked whenever we submitted the dolls to that um, little YouTube uh, group that yeah, kind of the, reviewed the, the dolls. the podcast show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, they were a lot more honest. Like, they were like, it looked good. Like, it looked like a student film, but it looked like a well-done student film. Mm-hmm. And then here's the problems. Yeah. Here's the thing we, we liked about it. And, like... They laughed at us. He's like, he didn't even try the doorknob. Why did he chop yeah. down the door? <laughs> yeah, and like, no, they, they pointed out, which is very obvious um, watching it later on. But at the time, we were just on such a desperate time crunch. It we was were like, too we have close to, re- to it, yeah. Yeah, it was like, we have to rewrite it. We have to get it shot. We were literally rewriting it as we were casting it. So mm-hmm. it was like, we just have to get it done. Um, but like, they pointed out, like, one of their biggest problems with it was it escalates way too quickly. Like, there's mm-hmm. no... Um, real justification. (laughs) There's no real justification for Paul's like sudden rage, and it's like, well, the story started a lot differently. (laughs) Um, yeah, and it's only kind of hinted at that he's been um, abusing his niece. Like, it's not really quite like as overt as it was originally. So. It is kind of this bizarre, like, why did he kill her, and why did he leave the other girl alive, and like. It really escalated quickly, and like watching it later, I can definitely be like, "Oh yeah, for sure." <laughs> it escalated way too quickly. Yeah, but like that note helps me because regardless of the time crunch, as a writer, I should have thought of a different way to open that that held a similar meaning. Well, I like the opening because um, I really like that shot where he gets mad, like that the makeup gets messed up and smashes the doll because yeah. you kind of hint at his anger problems. But the initial one was... I, I, I can't even give it away because I want to remake the film. Yeah, the initial one is, oh, he's just completely he's out there. Um, <laughs> but I liked that little... Oh, like, I actually really, really liked the opening. I yeah. just I think it needed more in the middle to get us to where we were at. And, like, I think maybe instead of just her walking in and seeing those dolls there like on the table like all dismembered she needed to see something more graphic that we couldn't show yeah like she needed to see something that was like damning to him and he was like okay she can't walk away from this so i don't know but it's it's good to know like those are things you need to know about your own work it's like this is what you did good, but let's focus on this. And, like, we try to walk away from the two stars thinking about those for our own works, I feel like. Like, um, I don't know. Like, we talk a lot about, like, story and characters and, like, all this stuff like that. So I try to keep that stuff in mind whenever we're doing our films. Is like, are we doing these characters justice? Mm-hmm. Like, Happy Birthday is a very short film and nobody talks. You don't really, like, get an insight to the like internal feelings of the character until you kind of figure out why at yeah, the very it's more end. based on action. So yeah. like you can tell off the beginning that there's blood on the hands, he's changing his mm-hmm. appearance, you know. Like but like you have I, to rely a lot more on building it in a very short time yeah. frame. But I feel like that one 
like at the end when you kind of finally realize what's going on like makes way more sense than like the dolls kind of like did kind of mm-hmm. jump a bit too aggressively and I feel like we have kind of gotten more in a rhythm about like how can we flesh these characters out in this brief amount of time so that you can still even if they don't say a word to you find a way to connect with their pain yeah so yeah it's good to hear criticism sometimes when it's constructive agreed um, my next little bit, we're running short on time. Let me see. Let me go. I'm going to skip one. I'll star it, and maybe we can talk about it in a future episode. I didn't we were that far in. No, we talked a long time about the Buddha stuff. <laughs> um, Sorry. I've got two more that I want to do for sure, and then we, we I'll bring up the section on writer's block in the future if we need a topic. Um but these fall more in line with the conversation. So this is in Finding Your Voice, and she's talking about, you know, she loves certain writers. She loves reading certain writers, but she also notices that when these writers put out a new novel, all of her students start writing like these certain writers, mm-hmm. which I'm guilty of, you know, in, in my past, writing like Chuck Palahniuk, mimicking him, Um because I liked his writing style and I, I, I fucked around with that for a long time before I figured out who I was and where I was different. And there are parts of my signature that are very polonic mm-hmm. at points, you know, like my, my love for fragmented sentences, but I feel like I do it more than he does. <laughs> I'm like, you know, that's what I like. But um, she's saying like sometimes you have to pull away from that because you're just like wearing somebody else's clothes in a sort of way Mm -hmm. Um, and dive into what it is that you know so she says we live our lives on surfaces and Betty does surfaces beautifully burnishing them bringing out the detail but when my students do Betty their stories tend to be lukewarm and I say to them life is lukewarm enough Give us a little heart. If I'm going to read about a bunch of people who drive Volkswagens and seem to have mostly Volkswagen-sized problems, and the writer shows them driving around on top of the ice, I want to sense that there is a very, very cold water down there. I eventually want for somebody to crash through. I want people who write to crash or dive below the surface where life is so cold and confusing and hard to see. I want writers to plunge through the holes, the holes we try to fill up with all of these props. In those holes and in the spaces around them exist all sorts of possibility, including the chance to see who we are and to glimpse the mystery. Uh, did you have a um, a director or a filmmaker or a DP that you looked up to that initially when you were making your first couple of films you kind of mimicked the type of shots maybe that they made? No, not really. Because um, it kind of caught me by surprise like when I was younger. Um, or not like younger, younger, but like end of high school, early college. Like I thought... I wanted to, like, be an actor or be a model or whatever, like, be the star of the whole thing. So, like, I wasn't necessarily watching movies from a 
crew standpoint of view like I wasn't like who directed this or who shot this or whatever like it was more of a what does this scene make me feel and how can I create scenes Mm -hmm. that make people feel that way so um I kind of stumbled into realizing that I liked being behind the camera more so I don't think I had so did it come from a particular photographer like do you have like a hero no not really like I just like I, I see particular really yeah, of visual art like I see particularly well done films and like I kind of view them as a collective like this team made this really beautiful piece of work and like how can I kind of step my work up to that level like I think for me um, filmmaking is so technical that sometimes if you're not careful, you kind of lose the heart and soul in it. Because um, when and you're, you're just building a machine, yeah, mm-hmm. like whenever you're, especially first learning, like all the technicalities of making a scene or making a movie, um, there's so much to keep up with and so much that you have to learn, like the different setups and make sure you get all the coverage and all these different shots and don't fuck up the white balance and just like so many technical things you have to keep up with that in the moment you're just like textbooking it almost Mm -hmm. so um i don't think honestly even today i'm technically advanced to attempt to (laughs) recreate anybody else's work that's worth admiring like i think all it's it's not about being advanced enough Mm -hmm. to recreate it i think what she's saying is the students are not betty much in the way that i am not chuck politic i am not cormac mccarthy i have an appreciation for their work and i pull things from their work and i I get that i I mean more from and i thank god every day i'm not william s (laughs) (laughs) Burroughs. no I, i get that that's not what it's about i'm just saying like realistically even if i was subconsciously like i'm really a big fan of spielberg and i'm mm-hmm. gonna kind of emulate his style my skill set would be so far below his people wouldn't even look at it and go that kind of looks like spielberg's work they'd yeah. be like what the fuck are you doing yeah <laughs> so, well that's kind of the point you know from the writing angle is like oh now you want to write about countertops betty writes about countertops so now I know what you're trying to do. You know, if you like wide angles because of Spielberg, then mm-hmm. your use of wide angles, you know, at the beginning at least, is going to largely be an attempt at what Spielberg uses, you know, because that's what you like in his mm-hmm. movies. If I was going to make a movie, I, it would be hyper. This guy's not Michael Bay, and it's obvious because he just keeps trying to blow up cars <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, like in the beginning, it was all just very the technical study of it and trying to make sure that I was learning the textbook practice of making mm. a movie. So I think I was so caught up in that that I, I wasn't as worried artistically about how it looked. And then, um, now that I have a better understanding of how to make a movie and I don't have to each individual shot, like, try to go through all the steps in my mind, like, now I'm kind of branching out a bit more artistically. Yeah. So I think for me it's more I'm figuring out who I am and what I like. Like, I discovered very early in that I really like cool tones, and that was, like, the first thing I learned about myself is I like kind of cold, depressing-looking movies. <laughs> so it's, like, that's the only, like style I have that like when other people do it I'm like yeah 
Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. I want to use that mm-hmm. under the door knob shot. Oh, I did. That, exactly. that, that was one time where I was like, we're doing that. Yeah, we're figuring that out. And that's an important step in finding your voice, which again is what the chapter's about. This um, second little bit is from 187. Uh, it's near the end of the book. There's not a whole lot after it, but um, she's talking about the concept of personal truths. Um, both in your writing life and in your life life. Or maybe truth as you understand it is 180 degrees away. The God is everywhere, and we are all where we're supposed to be, and more will be revealed one day. Maybe you feel like Wordsworth was right. Maybe Rumi, maybe Stephen Mitchell wrote on Job. The physical body is acknowledged as dust, the personal drama as delusion. It is as if the world we perceive through our senses, that whole gorgeous and terrible pageant, or the breath-thin surface of a bubble, and everything else inside and outside is pure radiance. Both suffering and joy come then like a brief reflection, and death like a pin. But you can't get to any of these truths by sitting in a field smiling, beautifically, avoiding your anger and damage and grief. Your anger and damage and grief are the way to truth. You don't have much truth to express unless we have gone into those rooms and closets and woods and abysses that we were told not to go into. When we have gone in and looked around for a long while, just breathing and finally taking it in, then we'll be able to speak in our own voice and to stay in the present moment. And that moment is home. I like that. So I I, I feel what separated my young writing life where I was mocking, not mocking. Emulating. Emulating. Polinic and just going, this dude made me want to do this. Now I need to write like him. You know, I need to write my own version of realizing that the lobster isn't dead and I've been eating it this whole time. You know, like I need that. Um, ultimately, and weirdly, because it was 10 years in, was losing dad. Yeah. It's like Polinic didn't write the story you know like you can't tell me how i feel right now you mm-hmm. know and i started fracturing away from all of these authors that i wanted to emulate and i think you have to do that as an artist i, I feel like you have to dive into who you are mm-hmm. and that's how you really find your own voice so i really liked that excerpt um you yourself I've had problems in the past with accepting that this is more than a hobby, that this is what you want to do. Yeah. And, and that's part of the reason it took me a while to get to where I am is whenever I went to college the first time I was studying a completely different degree because I felt like you had to have a plan B and everybody that I talked to before I went back to college Told for... you that shit early. <laughs> Brett Bloom has no plan B. <laughs> Everybody that I talked to before I went back to college for filmmaking was like, well, that's dumb. Why would you go to school for that? Like, just start working as a PA on film sets. And I did do that for, like, a one, two-year stretch. Like, I did PA for a couple of films. And, like, I realized 
trust me, when I told people I was going back to learn how to write, they were like, nobody reads, Brett. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I think I realized you don't, that's a myth. You don't have to start at the bottom rung and work your way up. I have a lot of respect for PAs. Like, PAs work very hard on film sets, but... Like, I went to school and I learned how to make the movies myself, and, like, ideally on a film set, if you're a PA, you're going to work your way up into an apartment, and eventually somebody will teach you their trade. But if you're a cashier, you may eventually become the manager of the Albertsons. Like, somebody will teach you the trade, ideally, one day, Um, or I could teach myself the trade and figure out what my own style was and what my own voice was, and I think that was probably my problem, um as far as like creating a style and why I still don't really necessarily have a specific style is I was very, I think you do. I just think you're too close to it because I I love watching your films (laughs) and I love them for the same reason that I write in a certain way. It's an anxiety attack on the screen. It's (laughs) panic. It's delusion. (laughs) You know, I don't, I don't feel like I've really perfected any kind of style yet, but I, I feel like... It's musical editing, like I think is your gift, as, as far as your films go. Thank you. No, I, I think when I first... It's definitely not my acting. <laughs> I think whenever I first like went back to school and gave myself permission to take it seriously, I wanted to make sure I took it very seriously and... You make fun of me for not being a reader, but I own a lot of really boring books about the technique of filmmaking and the technique of sound and the technique of lighting. Like, I have an entire bookshelf of really boring textbooks, but, um, like, whenever I went to school, like, I I made it a point to make sure that I fully understood how to do it, so it was, like, very serious about the technique of it, and I, I don't feel like I gave myself permission to feel it on an artistic level, so I'm just now kind of hitting that point of like what do I have to say instead Mm -hmm. of what is the camera saying for me that's an interesting way to put it so what is the camera saying for me so yeah I'm in that space of figuring out what I have to say so do you feel close one way or the other I don't think you ever truly figure it out. I think there's always going to be, like, a level of, like, imposter syndrome where, like, you feel like you should have done one more thing, you know? No, I think, um, which I'm okay with that because I think I've hit a point where I'm giving myself permission to be comfortable with it. I think uh, I'm the little baby bird, like, (laughs) flying out of the nest for the first time. Like, I'm just now kind of like, oh, I really like the way that looks. and Scared and confused and the way people used to feel at 18 before, you know. All yeah. these comfortable things happen. Yeah, and like I'll I'll see something when I'm editing it, and I'll be like, I know this isn't right, but I don't know why it's not right, and I'll have to take space away from it and come back later, and it's a lot easier to fix it with a clear mind and kind of get it closer to what I wanted. So yeah. I kind of have like preferences that I'm building, but they're still not quite there enough for me to be like, I know this is what I like, and I know how to achieve this. Mm-hmm. So I'm still kind of, yeah, in that experimental, like, what is my style? Phase? <laughs> what am I doing? No, I do that quite often. I, I forgot word spelling the other day. Like, I had to ask other people, and that's the first time I've ever had to ask anybody that I work with how to spell anything. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I can just rattle it right off. And I was like, I can't remember if the E becomes before the U. I have no idea how one spells neutral. (laughs) My brain just fucking flatlined. So so I think I'm like professionally 
playing the professional like sometimes <laughs> sometimes i feel like a kid with a crayon sometimes i feel like a god with a machine gun and i'm just you know everything i say is genius and half <laughs> I the do. time i feel like i'm dying and then oh. i panic when i'm not feeling like the genius and i feel like the popper i do feel like we're both hitting a place though where i feel more like a professional like uh mm-hmm. He did legit reach out to Tommy. I don't know that he's messaged me or read that message. I haven't checked it. it everybody but, uh, tweet the fuck out of Tommy was so. I want to talk to that man. I do not want to talk about the room. I want to talk about creativity in general. Yeah. So, yeah. But, like, I, like, we're at a point now where I didn't feel so far-fetched sending that message. And, like, I'm, like, when I think of other filmmakers and stuff that aren't, like, massive millionaire mm-hmm. A-list filmmakers... Like, just kind of the average Joe filmmaker. I'm like, oh, these people are my colleagues. They're not above me. Oh, I'm a magnet for crazy. (laughs) Like, God should not have given me all this power to talk to schizophrenics if he did not also give me the power to talk to Tommy (laughs) Wiseau. They're just saying, like, like sometimes it does feel a bit like I'm playing pretend, but I I think we are both legitimately hitting a stride in our career where it's like we are. Oddly Buddhist thought, I think, (laughs) that we're all playing pretend, and we're pretending to be things that we aren't most of the time, and we finally saw that this is a thing that we were supposed to be. Which leads me into my next quote. Which I'll, I'll, I'll leave as the final one, and then we can pick around next Friday with a few of the other things that I wanted to do. Um, this is in Anne's chapter on publication, page 204 and 205, um, where she finally addresses, it's near the very end of you know the official book, and then there's the last class, which we can dive into i can do a whole episode a whole hour just talking about like these last seven pages but she finally gets around to answering her her students questions like the 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 way that she's broken it up it's constantly being interrupted by quote-unquote students about okay i need an agent now right and like she talks about all the panic that comes with publication that's how she expresses it how it's not writing it's business and all the love that you have for writing does not work in the business sense you know (laughs) your passion that drives you to the pen that drives me to my whiteboard at two o'clock in the morning naked just fucking sprawling (laughs) shit it's not publication. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gets one of her books out. I don't know which one it is. Um, and she keeps being left off the billing for a charity event. So here we go. Now, I'm not stupid. I knew it was a nice big plate of cocaine for my ego. I knew it was another golden calf. But still my baby heart soared like an eagle. However, there was this one tiny little problem. I was the last author to be asked and to commit, so I wasn't on the initial press release that went out three months ago. The publicity chairwoman sent out a second release after I came on board, but when the first big prominent mention was made in the paper a few weeks ago, my name wasn't included. I was miffed. Since it was the most important column in the paper, but I am old and tough and can handle this sort of disappointment. 
Next, there was a paragraph about the event in the book section. Once again, I was not included. This time, the publicity chairwoman called upset and so full of apologies that she managed to mollify me. Then there was a big mention in the society page, and guess what? It felt like seventh grade all over again. The publicity chairwoman called again and was so upset that I thought she might actually drink a big glass of Drano right there on the phone. I felt suddenly so teary and premenstrual and left out that I couldn't even talk about it. Hours later, I remember that if I wasn't enough before being asked to participate in this prestigious event, then participating wasn't going to make me enough. Being enough was going to have to be an inside job. Also, about an hour after I had slogged through this conclusion, my mouth dropped open. I had somehow forgotten that it was a charity event. I had come to see it as a sort of showcase for me. Funny how that happens. I finally smiled, remembering something I heard Ramdas say on the radio once about somebodyism. How most of us are raised to be somebodies. And what a no-win game that is to buy into. Because while you may turn out to be much more somebody than somebody else, a lot of other people are going to be a lot more somebody than you. And it's going to drive you crazy. <laughs> it's a good way to look at it, for sure. So I think that plays into the jealousy a little bit. Remember why you got into the game. And Lamott did not get into the game to be the celebrity at the charity event. She got into it to learn a piece about herself and writing. And I think ironically, too, when I used to want to model and act like I, I was a lot younger, to be fair, but I think I was in a mental space where it was like, I want to be rich and famous and everybody's going to adore me. And then when yeah. I realized I never felt fulfilled in any of those roles, like... I'd be excited when I got hired for something, but day of, like, I would dread it with, like, this incredible, like, unease. I've got to go in yeah. here and be the clown. Yeah, yeah. like, I, I could not erase how miserable it made me feel every single time. And afterwards, when it was done, I'd be like, well, I'm glad I did it. But it, 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 it never felt fulfilling. And then, like, after I switched over to filmmaking, like, there's no part of me that's, like, I necessarily want to be the next Spielberg or whatever. I'm like, I'm okay with like being at that level of success, but I'm also okay with just being successful enough to do this for a living. I want to be Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know that I want to be Tommy Wiseau. Um, no, I just, I want to do it for a living. Like yeah. even if it's My a life goal living. is to make like $35,000. Like that, like if I can make enough money to not have to go to work via writing, I am a thousand percent down. If I have to work to supplement my writing, which is the way that I view it, because <laughs> trust me, if I can get a job at a gas station as a writer, I will get a job at a gas station as a writer. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't view it the other way around. I don't supplement my work week with my writing. I supplement my writing with my work week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
cut me down from 40 to 20, I can get more writing done, thus more <laughs> writing money, you know. But I'm not trying to be... Stephen King. King. Well, I'd like the respect. Yeah. And that means more to me than the money has ever meant to me because mm. I've rarely made more than $30,000 in a year. And I'm almost 30. <laughs> $54,000 a year? Blow my fucking mind out, son. <laughs> Lose my shit. My fucking fame goal is to make five hundred grand in one year, and that's just, you know... Yeah, I would like... Really crushing the game once. <laughs> I would like to be middle of the road. I would like to be successful enough that I never have to worry about money again. Like, I definitely make a living doing my work, and it doesn't have to be... Work. Yeah, well, I mean, it yeah. doesn't have to be like I can buy a Corvette, but it's like I've got a nice little house and my car's paid off and I'm doing fine. Um, I'd like to be um, able to blend in with a crowd enough to still do my own grocery shopping, but I'd like somebody to watch my movie and be like, who shot that? Yeah, <laughs> no, that's my goal as a writer. Nobody knows what Cormac McCarthy looks like unless you read Cormac McCarthy, and he's arguably the greatest writer alive right now. He's in his 80s, I guarantee you. He does his grocery shopping by himself and doesn't have to worry about fuck all. <laughs> He's just the old guy with the Mercedes-Benz just fucking pulling into the Albertsons to buy his beer. <laughs> but somebody isn't. Keep that in mind, friends, I guess. Uh, to kind of draw a close to this so I can go cook drunkenly in the kitchen listening to poetry and Alan Watts and maybe Rob Zombie. I was going to say probably Eminem. More than likely Eminem. <laughs> <laughs> As we talked about in our Tuesday episode about social media, people get really tied up in this concept that so many other people are doing so much better than them, and that somebodyism at a grander scale. Mm -hmm. Never strive to be better than anybody. I never wanted to be better. If anything, I've wanted to be ignored, you know. <laughs> The microphone is just to journal my love for Kristen. I'm glad you guys enjoy it. My writing has just been to journal my life as much as Kristen's filmmaking has been a journaling of her life and her experiences. And I don't know. Today was important to me. So I'm happy that we did a long one. And I'm beyond happy to be married to you and I can't wait start a family in the rest of our lives and just take care of yourselves out there team alright love you sweetheart love you and I love you guys but you know what I love even more than that my head my shoulders, knees, and toes, knees, and toes. <laughs> oh, Christ, my aching back, aching back. I woke up with the DTs, had to take a pee-pee. But my dick's so small, I pissed all over the seat. All right, I love you guys. Have a good one. <laughs>